forgiveness. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, I always feel like I have to clarify one thing because this is something that the body of Christ, I think, has done a poor job of over the last um, 30 to 40 years. And that is just because we forgive people that have wronged us does not mean we open up levels of trust immediately to those people. Um, there especially have been women who have been in abusive relationships in their lives and have been counseled by the body of Christ, by church leaders in our world today, to stay in those abusive relationships and offer forgiveness to their abuser. And I would totally agree with the fact that they need to offer forgiveness to their abusers because that's different than staying in the relationship and continuing to be abused. Um, that is not what the scripture teaches, and that is not what Jesus was referencing when he said to turn the other cheek. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you are being sexually or physically or verbally abused, that is not what scripture teaches you. And it is OK to bring those things to light in a way that brings correction, but does not heap shame or condemnation on the the even the abuser in, a, in such a way that, again, partners with the spirit of accusation or wants to see them get theirs. That's not what justice is all about. Um, God's justice is about healing for the abused and the abuser. And last night, uh, my family and I went to uh, James Valley to watch the Sabina movie. And uh, if you know the story about Sabina, um, her and her husband were Jewish, but they became uh, Christian. But during the time when the Nazis ruled, they were persecuted for faith. They were uh, arrested and beaten several times, but they rescued. They were a part of rescuing Jews and saving Jews during the Nazi regime. But interestingly, after after the the um, allied armies took over, uh, they were actually a part of helping um, German Nazi soldiers escape from the places where they were hiding out. And so it's interesting, and I don't know what to do with that. Uh, should there have been justice? I don't know. Um, but the power of forgiveness and the power of being able to help our enemies uh, in that way. And uh, Sabina herself, her family was murdered by the Nazi soldiers. And so for her to help them, just a powerful story. And so if you attended and you didn't get a chance to pick up one of the world watch lists, um, this is the Voice of the Martyrs um, and Open Doors Ministry puts these booklets out, and it just helps you pray for the persecuted church around the world, for open doors. There are several copies of that available on the table in the back. Those are free if you just want to take them, if you want to read. There's one country of the um, for every week of the year that you can read and pray for and uh, just help stand with the persecuted church around the world. So for today, um, we're going to put a pause on our series uh, we've been going through a series called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg, uh, a book by John Ortberg, and we've based a series off of it. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines. Um, this month, we've been talking about the discipline or the practice of confession, and I hope that we continue to practice that and walk that out. Um, but every year, we take time to talk about where we are as a church. We call it our Vision Sunday or a Sunday where we kind of look back or we look ahead at what God wants to do or what we feel like God wants to do in our lives. And today, uh, I want to talk about 
Where is Restoration Church? That's what I titled the message. Pretty simple title. Where is Restoration Church? And next Sunday night is our business meeting, and we'll cover some more specifics, um, some of the finances. We'll, we'll vote on um, two new deacons for the upcoming year. And um, I'll even share a little bit more detail than I'm going to share in this message today. Um, but this is going to be a very different conversation than even I expected it to be as I started to prepare for today. Um, many of you have joined us over the last three years. Uh, you've come into this body and you this is Restoration Church is new to you. Some many of you joined us either right before covid or during covid. And um, so much has changed and happened over the course of those couple years that I wanted to step back and maybe share a little bit of the journey that got us where we are. And in that process, even talk about some of the core concepts that are Restoration Church and why in the world we use a, a table on our, our logo as a church and what does that have to do with anything. Um, and so I hope to be able to explain some of that to you. But I want to start the morning with a video that we put together back in October of 2020 when we officially changed uh, the logo of our church to this table. Uh, we, be, we had changed our name to Restoration Church a few years prior, and uh, this was a, a special day for us. And so Pastor John at the time put together this video, and I want, I want us to watch it to kind of kick off this message today. So let's watch this video together. This film is a testimony of God's goodness over our church.
it's important for us to know that we stand on a foundation of people that have gone before us and that everything we are is connected to them in ways that we don't even understand fully. That's the way the kingdom of God operates. And I, for one, am grateful for the heritage and the past of Restoration Church and all that it has stood for. Restoration Church was founded back in November of 1933. And so this year we will be 89 years old. And the buildings and the names have changed multiple times. The programs have changed. As you saw in the video, there was a time when we had a bus ministry. And the children's and youth programs have changed from Royal Rangers and Missionettes to Awana to True Fire to Rest, excuse me, Restoration Church Kids. We did... Um, a youth program called Rock House and Sunlight Ministry um, for Halloween Alternative. And then we changed to the Trunk or Treat and we do Royal Family Kids Camp. And there have been choirs and singing Christmas trees and women's groups and men's groups and college ministries and missions program. But no program, building, location or ministry is the mission of Restoration Church. The mission of Restoration Church is set by the Lord. Buildings and programs and locations are tools that we use to fulfill that ministry. And in your hand today, I put a packet of information that I'd love for you to read some other time um, than right now. But the, the first page is an article that was written in 2008 when we celebrated our 75th anniversary. One of our members, Virginia Hofer, wrote an article that kind of outlined the history of our church. And there's a little bit of that. Um, in the middle of that packet, there is a prayer point that I presented back to our body in November 2018. Ten items that I really felt like the Lord had laid upon my heart for us to begin to pray into this idea of restoration. And uh, I'll talk more about that as I go through the message today. And then the last page is a letter I wrote back in October of 2020 when we changed the, the logo of our church to a table. And it explains a little bit about uh, why we made that change and where that came from. And I'll explain some of that as I go through the message today. Um, today is really going to be a lot of me sharing history. And so for some of you, this may be a reminder of where we've been, a reminder of things that God put on our hearts. Because as I prepared for this, I was reminded of things that uh, I felt like God put on our hearts that we haven't really taken the step of faith that he's maybe asked us to take in some of those areas. And so for some of you, this may be totally brand new. If you love the history of our church and you want more information about the history of our church, I recommend our Restoration 101 class. It's a class if you want to become a voting partner that we require people to take. Um, but it's just a class that gives you more information about our church. I love the fact that our church... Restoration Church was founded by a single woman in 1933. If you think it's difficult on women in ministry in the church today, let me tell you, it was a lot different back in 1933. And I love that this young, fiery evangelist lady had the gumption to start a church in 1933 in Huron, South Dakota that continues to this day. I joined the story of Restoration Church back in 1998. Christy and I moved here. I became the youth pastor in June of that year. So this coming June, we will have been here 24 years. We have all of our children were born and raised in Huron, South Dakota. They know nothing else. 
um, this has been home for us all of that time. And um, quite honestly, it feels like home. And I didn't, one reason I didn't want to share this video is because I just thought I would cry. And I was like not watching all of it backstage, but uh, I'm trying to zone it out. So bear with me today. But in December of 1999, after 18 months after we got here, the lead pastor at that time resigned. And he went to Spring Valley, Minnesota to pastor a church. And he actually invited us to come. Um, I've never publicly made that statement, but uh, Steve and Lynette Cuno were like our, our closest friends for the 18 months that we were here. And I was super tempted to go with them because we loved them and we were new in ministry so we could start fresh somewhere else with them. That would have been great. Um, but when we prayed into it, we really felt like the Lord wanted us to stay here. And the way the Assemblies of God works is a lead pastor comes in and he gets to hire his staff. So I could stay on, but a lead pastor could come in and say, well, I don't really want to work with you. And so there's the door. Um, and that would be how we do things, because we want there to be continuity. Most of the time, lead pastors that come in will keep staff, at least for the short term, and try to work with them. Um, but if it doesn't work, generally they'll split and they'll go their separate ways. So we stayed here. And we waited for the new pastor. Well, for six months, I was the interim pastor. And then in June of 2000, I became the lead pastor. I did not want to be a lead pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to work with teenagers. I felt I would be called to that all of my life. And that was what God wanted me to do. But as we prayed into it and as we started to lead the church in that interim process, um, the church had asked us to consider taking that position. So we at one point then finally agreed that we felt like this was what God was doing. We felt like the church had known us. We'd already been here for two years, and there were no secrets. So it wasn't like we were trying out. They knew some of the problems and flaws in my personality, and they knew the warts, and I knew them. Um, in fact, during the interim process, I had some difficult conversations with some members of the body that I thought maybe could do things a, a little bit better under a different pastor, thinking I was setting things up for the new guy. And I guarantee you, no one walked out of my office yelling at me. In fact, most people broke down and cried because they had no idea that what they were doing was being received in that way. It taught me something. It taught me that a lot of times when we get hurt by what someone else says or does, we kind of put up walls and we kind of assume they're doing it on purpose and they may not have any idea what's being done. And yet, because we don't care enough to have, yeah, care enough to have the conversations, the difficult conversations, we never resolve those things. And they just carry on for years and years and sometimes from church to church. And so I tried to become the type of pastor that would think outside the box, would have those types of conversations. Um, people actually started thinking I enjoyed confrontation. I don't. I hate it. Uh, my body reacts the same way as yours does. My, I get anxiety. You, you shake. Your, your body temperature changes. You sweat. I don't enjoy confrontation, but I know it's necessary. And so I'm willing to do that. When the previous pastor was here, he had started talking about um, vision thinking outside the box. And part of that vision was selling the church. He wanted to um, start fresh. Some of it was financial. Some of it was just we needed a fresh start somewhere else. So we talked to other churches about swapping, and we talked about selling. Um, and that was not a popular idea. 
And six months after he presented this vision to the board and to um, the congregation, he started looking for somewhere else to go. And he left. And so um, when I took the position, I started talking about revival. And I started talking about the building being full. And as you can imagine, everyone got excited about that. And it was this vision and it was fresh. And I I genuinely think, I mean, I was praying, I was asking God what to do, and I think God was leading, and there was some camaraderie happening, and we were growing. Most of our growth, however, was from people that moved in out of town and people that left other churches to come to our church. There were some salvations, but the majority of our growth was not from salvations. And if you know anything about church, building a church on people who have left one church to come to your church is a very wobbly foundation to build on, um, especially if those people haven't dealt with what they left behind. Um, for a season in, in ministry here, the pastor of James River Church, the pastor of the Open Bible Church, and I would meet together pretty regularly. And anytime someone would try to leave, because we were the three Pentecostal churches, anytime someone would leave one of our churches, we would, one, tell that person, I'm going to talk to the pastor, and I hope that you have dealt with whatever it is that you're leaving behind. Because I totally believe, and they did too, that there were seasons where you were maybe called to leave a church and go to another. But if you did, you ought to leave it right. And you ought to make sure that you walk away in good relationship with the other body of Christ. Because if you don't, it will come with you. And so we did that for years. And uh, unfortunately, the the pastors changed and things changed and we don't do that so much anymore. But let's skip ahead to 2011. Some of you are like, whew, we got a lot of years to cover, Pastor. Keep moving. 2011, uh, during this time, we've had, we had staff pastors. Brittany Bragg was one of our pastors for five years. She grew up in our youth ministry. Um, she went on the mission field. She's still on the mission field today. Patience Linton was on staff with us for uh, seven years, if you know uh, Jason and Patience have been back and have spoke in the church, uh, I think, two times in the last two years here. Um, and then they left to help with the church plant in Miami. And Pastor John and Heather moved in, and they were here for about seven years as well. And so during the time, those 11 years, we had different staff pastors. Um, but in 2011, the Assemblies of God started something called the Acts 2 Journey for Church Leaders. And the Acts 2 Journey was about churches being more intentional. I mean, as a church, it's not just have a worship service, sing some songs, have a kids ministry. Uh, it was doing things intentionally. Don't just do what every other church is doing. I mean, the Bible clearly calls us to make disciples. The Bible clearly calls us to gather together with other believers. The Bible calls us to pray. The Bible calls us to, to fellowship, which isn't um, having activities and events, but it's actually a mutual connection of our lives. And so the things that we do in our American culture, the buildings we build, the program structures, um, even having a lead pastor that we call pastor, even if they're not a pastor, if they're an evangelist or a teacher, we just call everyone pastor. I'm not saying they're wrong, but they're definitely cultural. And so when we start to look at what Scripture calls for, if what is cultural is getting in the way of what is biblical, then we have to let go of what's cultural to become more biblical. And so Acts 2 was all about making sure that we're being intentional and we're actually doing what Scripture says to do. And if you're having Sunday school to build disciples, but no disciples are being built, 
do something else that actually builds disciples. When Sunday school started, it was a great discipleship building tool. There's no doubt. There are are people in church today that can remember they were discipled through Sunday school. But times change, seasons change, cultures change. And today, if you tell kids you're going to Sunday school, most of them will rebel. Nobody wants more school. And so you can call it something else. You can do something else. And so that's just one example of maybe hundreds of things. But we, we were talking about vision and core values and mission and being intentional. And we evaluated everything. We spent time in prayer together. We fasted together. We studied the scripture together. We went on four retreats where we uh, did some brainstorming together. We had leaders speaking to us and helping us. They weren't telling us what to do. They were leading us to ask God what to do for our church and how to develop the type of church that was going to reach our community. And that one-year journey actually developed into about 10 years where we continued to meet together. And one of the main questions that came out of these meetings was this question. If our church ceased to exist tomorrow, would anyone notice? If our church ceased to exist tomorrow, would anyone notice? So that became a conversation that we had a lot. And what one part of understanding church during this time that I want to I want to make sure we unpack a little bit today is the idea of the word church. Our our Bibles translate this word church, which is really the Greek word ekklesia. And that word is literally the word assembly. Okay, assembly. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. Upon this rock, I will build my assembly, my ecclesia, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, if you've been a part of our body for any length of time, you know that I've taught on this before, and I'll, I'll cover it quickly here. But the word gospel for us, gospel is a word that's a very church word. You don't hear people using gospel out in the world much. But gospel back in the Bible days was not a church word. It was actually a political word. So when the Roman Empire took over the world, they would go from place to place, the new country that they took over, and they would go in presenting the gospel of the Roman Empire. It was the good news of the Roman Empire. They were there to convince you through the good news of the Roman Empire what the Roman Empire was going to do for you. It's not sad that we took over your country. There's this good news. We are going to give you this. We're going to give you uh, running water. We're going to give you plumbing. We're going to give you all of these resources. And this is good news. This is the gospel of the Roman Empire, the empire of the Roman, the Roman colony. Okay, so that's what. So when the gospel writers and when Jesus come along saying, they're the good news of the kingdom of God. You see what they're doing? They're using common vernacular that everybody is aware of. Jesus is saying, I'm ushering in a new kingdom. Here's the good news of this kingdom. It's that language. So when Jesus uses this word church, assembly, ecclesia, 
he's not talking about a word they're unfamiliar with. The ecclesia of the Roman Empire would have been an assembly that was formed in each community. It would have been made up of men who were 18 years and older, and their job would be to come together to further the mission of the Roman Empire. That's what the assembly did. They were to spread the gospel, the good news of the Roman Empire. They were to establish Roman culture and ideology within each community. They would meet regularly in the public square to make policies, to elect people, to vote, to judge, to render decisions, to discuss issues. That's the assembly. And sometimes there would be debate on issues and how this should work in this community and how it should work according to Roman law. And maybe there would be overlapping laws that they'd have to discuss. We've talked about that even with the Jews. So when Jesus says this, where he's talking about forbidding or binding and loosing things in heaven and on earth, he's talking about his ecclesia, his community, doing this same thing, bringing this culture of the kingdom this ideology of the kingdom everywhere they go it wasn't about having a building that we meet in so we can encourage each other and go out and live our lives it was about a body of people an ideology being released everywhere people went and you didn't have to meet in the same location in fact for years they didn't have structures that they met in they did not meet in the synagogues christians and jews didn't always get along they met wherever they could meet They met in open spaces, and those were their gatherings. They met in people's homes because they wanted to spread the ideology of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. That's the context that Jesus did. And this idea of binding and loosing was having conversations together within the body of Christ to see how this works. Okay, the kingdom of God says this, and it says this. How do those two things go together? It seems like they're contradictory. How do we live these things out? And they would work together to bind and loose the commands of Scripture so they would live out the kingdom of God in their daily lives. That's what Jesus is talking about. Christopher Wright, in his The Mission of God, writes this. It's not so much of a case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. From the beginning, God has had a mission through Adam, through Abraham, to have this kingdom of priests, this assembly, if you will. And sometimes what we do culturally puts it in a box that God never intended it to be in. And our job is to make sure that we stay true to his intent for his church, his assembly. Part of the problem is we use the word church in a lot of different ways. We do use the word church to refer to the group of people that make up the church. But we also go to church. And by that we mean a building. Or by that we mean uh, a worship service, church. And so we could mean a denomination, we could mean a set of programs, and some people think, well, it doesn't really matter what we use. I think it does matter, because it's given us a faulty mindset. I grew up knowing that when you went to church, the church building, that was the house of God. And you had to act a certain way in the house of God. You didn't behave inappropriately inside the worship center or the sanctuary, the house of God. Can I tell you what the scripture calls the house of God? The temple. Synagogues were never referred to as the house of God. The temple was the only house of God because that's where God's presence dwelt. So, New Testament, where's the house of God? 
you and me. And if you act different in a worship center than you do anywhere else, you're taking the house of God everywhere you go. And yet we've raised a generation that behaved one way in a building and another way out there. Does that mean we shouldn't have buildings? No, we can have buildings as long as we make sure we're teaching people they're the house of God. Together we are the house of God. That's what the scripture teaches. And so wherever the house of God is, God is. He's at your workplace. And so if you wouldn't say it in this room or you wouldn't say it in the sanctuary you grew up in, don't say it anywhere because you're the house of God. That's some good stuff. As a result, we've had an overemphasis on events and structures and programs, and these things can be very beneficial, but it loses the kingdom mindset because church then becomes about coming together and having Bible studies together and fellowship meals together, and we have less and less interaction with the people we're actually supposed to be bringing into the kingdom. And so it's not bad to have all of these things. And I promise you, the reason that we, we changed our church logo to a table wasn't because we wanted to have more meals together. I'm not against meals. People tell me I'm against potlucks. I'm not. As long as everybody brings a good dish, I'm not. It's got to be gluten-free, dairy-free. Just kidding. But I'm not against meals. But I've sat at a lot of those potluck meals with people. And the conversation quickly turns to the, the jerks I work with or the, the chaos that's happening in our world and the demeaning conversation that happens around that table. Tell me how that's fellowship. So much partnering with the spirit of accusation happens in our little church cliques. And the very people we're trying to reach are the ones we're talking about. And we have got to get outside of that and become all that God wants us to be. Do we have to get together? Absolutely. We have to come together. We have to come together even more often than we come together. We have to come together in a large gathering. We have to come together in small groups. We have to come together. But just coming together isn't going to do it. I've watched churches through the 24 years, churches I've been a part of, other people's churches, I've watched people who are a part of all these activities leave a church because they got their feelings hurt. Why? Because we've developed a consumeristic idea in the church where the people up here do all the work and the people out there are spectators and we come to church as consumers. We come to church because we like the kids program. We come to church because we like the youth program. We come to church because we like the worship. We come to church because we like the way the pastor preaches. But if any of that changes, we leave. When the pastor preaches one thing I don't agree with, I'm out the door. When the worship leader changes and we put someone else up here and I don't really like that style. There's nothing wrong with selecting how you go to church based on your preference. But if it's not bathed in prayer, if you're coming and going from a church isn't bathed in prayer and where God is leading you, that's a problem. Because that's the body of Christ. And so if there's... I wanted to cover so much of that. In fact, that was the whole sermon that I was going to preach today, but I felt like I had to cover our history. But I put an article on Facebook that covers a lot of this. It's called Going to Church, Think Again. Okay, it, it's on Facebook. If you can't access it, let me know. I'll email it to you. You can get it. You can read it. You can study it. There's a lot of information there, but we need to get back to our history because we these were part of the conversations we were having as the Acts 2 team 
being the church, and we made some changes, we made some structural changes, we modernized the building, we painted some things, we bought some furniture, we put up a pallet wall. Back in 2013, we had an event that we affectionately refer to as the Poonami, where sewer backed up in our children's area, and we had to redo all of that, and we developed a mission statement and core values, and we were going to be intentional, and then there were some minor changes that we made, um, and then we walked through just some years of trying to work those things out. And we went through a difficult season, both the Mullins and I, and I won't get into the details of that, but in the year 2015, both of us went through struggles in our personal lives. Uh, in church, there were just some things that had happened uh, that were difficult to navigate. And in 2016, Pastor John and I were a part of a group called Water Tower. And Water Tower was a group of pastors that were meeting together for encouragement. It was a large church in Texas that wanted to put value on the rural church. There's now a whole movement that is trying to make rural, um, I hate to use the phrase, but they're trying to make rural matter, okay? Because for a long time, we've valued our missionaries that go overseas, but pastors who pastor the smallest towns in South Dakota and North Dakota, are they don't matter. I mean... We wouldn't say that, but we treat them like they don't matter. We don't value them and resource them and, and help them the way we do missionaries overseas. And so this movement was about trying to help us grow and develop and resource us in ways that we couldn't be. And th- it was for lead pastors only, but I invited Pastor John to come along because I felt like I, n- I wanted him there, and the numbers were low. And I wanted to make sure this happened, and I wanted to make sure the room was full. Um, and so the first meeting, we were all sharing and just pouring out our hearts, and we were in a room where we could be vulnerable, talk about what we've experienced and where we've been, um, and they let Pastor John stay because they recognized that I didn't have a problem being vulnerable with him in the room, and so and vice versa, and so we had developed a type of relationship where we told each other the truth, and even if it was hard to tell to each other, and we didn't always like it, and we had to learn to grow through it, but we did, and then in 2017, coming out of that moment, was where the word restoration got into our hearts as a church. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 says, Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, and before its welfare will determine your welfare. And you remember that question, if we cease to exist, would anyone notice? This is what that question finally birthed in our hearts, that we are here to work for the peace and prosperity of this community. That if we cease to exist, people should notice. We should not be here just to gain converts, but we should be here to add value to this community, to the people in this community, because they have been given value and dignity by their creator. And that's who we wanted to be. That's what we decided to become. We changed our name officially to Restoration Church in September of 2018, and we continue to actively pursue selling the building over the years over the 20 years that i've been here we've talked about it from year to year and we've brought it up but we actively began trying to sell it and i we wanted to sell it for financial reasons yes but this was about a restructuring decision and getting a building that fit the current vision that we had for the church a building that we could manage better and fund better and we felt like selling it to another church that could use it would be a kingdom move so COVID hit in the middle of all of this, and we all know that COVID made all of these changes and did all of this crazy stuff, and we eventually sold the building in 
at the end of 2020 to the Korean church. And I'm proud to tell you today that the Korean church not only fills the building, they fill it multiple times on a Sunday. And so what has been built by the, the foundation, the people that have gone before us, is still being used for kingdom work. And it's being used by a people that have been displaced from their homeland and been forced to come here and have this desire to know God and to worship God. And I think that somewhere along the line, the people of Restoration Church get credit in heaven for that type of a move. That's just my thought. But we felt that the Lord was calling us to move to the downtown area, to be a part of downtown. We didn't know what that looked like. There was a building at 208 Dakota Avenue South that we prayed into that we didn't ever move into. And there was a time as I was praying at downtown and circling the building that I felt like the Lord said, what if we never, what if I never answer this prayer and you never move into that property? You're going to look like a fool. Now, either that was the Lord or that was the devil. I don't know. But I said, you know what? There's been so much growth in my life. There's been so much growth in our church that as we've been pursuing this, it's not just about this location. I think you're doing something bigger. Well, we never moved into that building, but we are at 280, 208, 280. Maybe we just got our, our wires crossed. I don't know. Renting office space as a church as we rent this space. And I do believe that one day, we will own property again. In the meantime, we're renting adequate space to serve us as a church body. There is more than enough room in this area to meet for services. There's more than enough space in that downtown location to utilize it for what God's called us to do. Now, why would God call us to, to be a part of downtown uh, is, is beyond me. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But here's what I know. In 2018, God put that on our hearts. We presented it to the church body. And two months later, 70 of our city leaders met together and talked about the greatest needs of our city. And in September of 2018, they released a study that presented the top four needs of our community. The top two being adequate housing and the second one being a restoration of the downtown area. Now, I don't know about you, but it felt like a confirmation in my heart that something God had put in our heart to do, along with working for the peace and prosperity of the city, when the city comes along and says, hey, let's do it. And last year, when we did our trunk or treat downtown and brought together the downtown businesses and businesses from around the community, and they blocked off Dakota, which is something they hadn't done in many years, to, able to be able to have this trunk or treat and have over a thousand children show up at that. I feel like we're walking in what God has called us to do, but I also feel like we're not taking full advantage of the property that we're renting and the calling that God's put on our hearts. And so there are going to be some things that we roll out in the year ahead. Uh, I'm not even sure of all that they are yet, but we are going to utilize the property that we're renting and we're going to fulfill what we think is God's mission for us to work for the peace and prosperity of our city and to be a part of that downtown community, whatever that looks like. I'll share more of that at our, our annual meeting next Sunday, but I want to wrap up this, this conversation today with just a couple things. And so if you bear with me for just a moment, um, the prayer points that are in front of you. There are 10 things back in 2018 that I asked our body to pray into, and I am going to reaffirm that today and I want to ask you over the next year or years 
to be praying into this. This is what I think restoration is all about. And this is what God's calling us to either act on or at least pray into. The, the idea of restoring people to God, helping people find their identity. Uh, there are believers, there are Christians that go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. They don't know their identity as sons and daughters of God. I want us to be a part of bringing people into a relationship with God where they know who they are in Christ Jesus. And they, whether they're an unbeliever or they're a pre-believer or a believer or somewhere on that journey, bringing them together. I want to be a part of bringing people together with people. We talked years ago about being unoffendable. We need that again. If you still have the book Unoffendable at your house, get it out and read it again. We live in a culture that is now easily offended Christian and non-Christian alike. Some of us in this room have probably been guilty of it this week on taking on an offense. Read the book Unoffendable by Brant Hansen and say, Holy Spirit, put this in my heart. Let us become this type of people. We want to work for the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the marginalized. True and undefiled religion is this, to care for the orphan and the widow. That's what we want to be a part of. We want to be a part of restoration in Huron. We want to work for the peace and prosperity of our city, to be a benefit to our city, to be a blessing to our community. We want to work in church planting. We want to be a blessing to small communities around us. And church planting has always been a part of what we want to do and will remain that way. On the other column of that, there are five different groups that I believe God is calling us to help break down the barriers that exist in the body of Christ. The first one is the racial. I presented this to our body back in 2018, and I realized in 2020, this became a hot-button topic that nobody wants to talk about. This is a topic that the church needs to start talking about, and we need to put our big boy pants on and have conversations where we're not yelling at each other, where we're not labeling each other, and where we're not trying to dismiss other people's thoughts. We need to learn to sit at a table with people that disagree with us and have conversations and be willing to admit that we are wrong in some areas. And I think we need to continue to pray into that. I'll remind you that back in the time when Martin Luther King Jr. was alive and walking on this earth and he was pushing for the civil rights movement, the white evangelical church did not agree with him and did not support him. Now that he has died, we support him, we honor him, we reverence him, but we did not at the time. And so don't close your ears to some of the things that are black brothers and sisters in Christ are saying in this moment. Not everyone is out to destroy America. Not everyone is out to destroy the church. Listen. And we need to pray for ears that hear. There is a class restoration to bring together the poor, the middle class, the upper class, to break down walls. This was an emphasis of Jesus and the early church. It needs to be an emphasis for us. I believe we need to be a part of the restoration of women and gender in the body of Christ. Women need to be given a place in the body of Christ. We need to bring to light any type of abuse that is taking place in our churches, whether it's against children, whether it's against women, if it's against men, it needs to come to the light and we need to deal with it in a Christ-honoring way. We need to be a part of the generational restoration between the older generation and the younger generation. We need to value one another and listen to one another and serve one another and stop talking down about the other generations. We need to come together as the body of Christ and in a denominational restoration 
I have always been a big proponent of this. Uh, I work with the, the, the ministerial association in town. I don't agree with all of these different denominations, but we share a commonality of Jesus Christ crucified, and we can work together, and it's time for the body of Christ to stop labeling and drawing lines and to begin to work together again. That's the prayer points that I'd love us to pray into. And I want to share one last thing, and I know I've gone over, and I apologize to the kids' workers. There's just one more thing I feel like I need to share, and that's the table. What does the table have to do with the church? And the table is not about just having meals with people. Having a meal with someone is important. It's a way to build camaraderie. I get it. I'm for it. Have meals together. Do it. You will not get any arguments from me. But the table is more a way of life than it is an event. The table is about living our lives with an open door, with an open heart, and with an open mind. The table is a place to connect. It's where connection should happen. That's the open door. There should be connection with other members in the body of Christ. It is not okay for us to attend a worship service here on Sunday, and that's our only interaction with Restoration Church the rest of the week. That should not be in the body of Christ. There should be a greater level of connection with one another. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm not saying it has to be huge steps. I'm saying we have to be connected between Sundays in some way. And it can't just rely on the church creating activities for it to happen. You and I have to take responsibility for it to happen with each other. We need to connect with other believers. We cannot be just the ones that think we have everything right. We need the other members of the body of Christ in our community. And last and certainly not least, we need to connect with people outside the church. If our lives are not open to unbelievers, we are missing it all. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Period. Our lives have to be an open door to the lost. And for that to happen, number two is the value. The table represents value. It's an open heart. It's giving honor and dignity to people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Memorize it this week. It'll be really hard. Honor everyone. That's all it says. 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor everyone everyone honor has nothing to do with someone's behavior honor has everything to do with my treatment of them and the value i see placed on them by the creator when jesus sat at a table with tax collectors and sinners he was making a value statement he was not condoning their sin he was valuing them and when we in the body of christ are making public comments about people's disgusting, ridiculous behavior, and we're shaming them, we are not opening our hearts for them to sit at the table with us. So this is about a way of life that each of us as individuals needs to embrace if we're going to embrace it as a church. We need to open our hearts. The last one, there's probably many more, but humility. Humility. The table's about humility. This is an open mind. We need to come to the table and be willing to listen, to learn, and to grow from one another. We need to listen to understand one another, not listen to respond. 
to one another or correct one another. I'm not talking about compromising truth, but I'm talking about learning from other denominations, learning from other people that see the word of God, the, the kingdom of God differently than I have because we need them in our lives. No church has a corner on the market of truth. None of us do not need the others. We need the rest of the body of Christ to help us see what we could do better to grow in some of the areas that we are the weakest. I believe the fullest picture we can have of the body of Christ is sitting at a table with people we disagree with. And you don't even have to learn to agree to stay at the table with them. But you do have to learn to be humble, to value them, and to want to connect with them. That's what the table represents for us. And that's why it's on our logo. When people ask you, there you go. Why do you have a table? It's about connection. It's about honor and value. And it's about, um, (laughs) what did I say? (laughs) See, you were listening. Praise the Lord. I want to share one last scripture verse with you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Listen to this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Here's what I think. I think if you're in this room today, I think if you're watching online, that God brought you here. He's brought you here. And you're here for a reason. You need the people in this body in order to grow, and we need you in order to grow. When you're watching online, the same holds true for you. And if you're online because you cannot be in this room, you've got to help us find a way that we can connect to you and you can connect to us So, because you are just as much a part of this body as every person sitting in this room today. If you're watching online and you can be in this room, we need you to be here. You need to come. You need to connect again to the body of Christ and be with us as we worship together. But it moves beyond this room. I don't know what the future of Restoration Church holds. In fact, today looks a whole lot different than I would have guessed two years ago. But here's what I believe. We're on a journey. We're on a journey together. God is showing us the way to go. He's with us, and He will always be with us if we keep our hearts humble before Him and listen. He'll tell us what to do. And so I invite you to be a part of that journey with us. And so, Father, I just say thank you today again for the ways that you've treated us. God, the ways that you have brought us into fellowship with one another through the death of your Son. God, I pray for every member of Restoration Church, those that are in the room now, those that are watching online, those that aren't here today, but those that will hear this message at a later time. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people of connection, that you'd help us to be a people of value, and that you'd help us to be a people of humility, that the table way of life would begin to be something that we don't just do in this room on Sunday. But God, that we take it with us everywhere the house of God goes. God, that we connect with each other better. That we connect with other members of the body of Christ better. That we connect with those outside the body of Christ. That we value. That we value our enemies. That we value those we disagree with. That we value with those that are covered with shame right now. And that they would find a welcome place at our table that they would find an open heart in conversation with us. 
God, I pray for a, a greater level of humility in every one of our lives to recognize that for every flaw that I see in someone around me, there's at least one equal flaw in my own life. And I need them just as much as they need me. That we would learn and grow from one another. That we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. Father, help us to be the church that you've called us to be. Promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, everywhere we go. God, give grace to each of us today to retain what we need to retain for our lives today. Help us to walk it out, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you didn't get a copy of the packet that I referred to, um, there will be copies available as you leave today. Copies of the annual report for those of you that want those are in the back as well. Thank you guys for sticking with me. I know I went a little over today. I promise to be better next week. God bless you as you go. Cause we're